Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. What a privilege it is every week that I get to come here and share from the Word of God with you. And it is, it is a privilege today, the third Sunday of Advent, to be here and to, uh, to come with a word from the, the Scripture from Philippians 4. And if you'd like to find Philippians 4 in your Bible, if you're following along, you're welcome to do that while you're doing that. Let me remind you of a couple of things that uh, are coming up. Uh, we have weekly prayer at 6 a.m. via Zoom. And so if you are interested in joining us on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. via Zoom to, for a time of quiet prayer, uh, I do just a guided, guided time of prayer through that. You're welcome to interact and pray out loud if you'd like, but it's challenged by choice, so you don't have to unmute and pray out loud if you don't want to on Thursday mornings. So the, there will be prayer this coming Thursday, and then I'll probably take the two weeks, the last two weeks of December off, uh, just assuming that most people will be uh, just like hunkering down with family time during those two weeks. So we'll start back up in, in January. And then let me remind you, or, or maybe it's been, maybe uh, let me say that the next three services that we have are, are going to be awesome. I'm sure. The, the 19th, we have, we have our Christmas Sunday, and we'll have lots of music. I'm really excited about all the, the groups that are working on, and we're going to, it's going to be a great time. So the 19th is a day, it will be a short preaching day, probably. And uh, so you're, uh, it, it might be a good Sunday to invite folks. If, if you have somebody that you've been building a relationship with and considering inviting to church, that might be a good Sunday. The, the 24th, uh, 6 o'clock, Christmas Eve, we'll have a service here, and that also will be, will be a wonderful time together. And so encourage you to, to circle that on your calendar. I know some families, Christmas Eve is the time to, like, it starts with the Christmas Eve service at church. Some families, uh, the Christmas Eve service just doesn't work in your schedule. But if you're, if you're a Christmas Eve service person, we're, gonna, we're going to be here, and it'll be a great time together. And then the 26th, I'm super excited about the 26th, the day after Christmas. We, I saw the list, and I think it was 21 or 24 Christmas carols that we'll be singing that day. And so uh, if you like singing Christmas carols, the 26th is your day. And I'm pushing for more. We'll see if we can get to 30. We'll see. We'll see. It's a challenge. We'll see. This is the first time we've done it, so we'll see. Well, it is the third Sunday in Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, and we find ourselves on the Sunday where the theme is joy. And I've been over this a few times over the last few weeks, this idea that two years into a global pandemic, it just kind of seems rude to tell you that you have to smile today because the calendar says so. It, it seems like a hard time to be, to be joyful. The, the frustration and division and loss and just the circumstances of the, the last couple of years kind of have been making it hard to be joyful. And I, I talked before Thanksgiving about the idea of lament, uh, that, that maybe this year we just aren't feeling really like giving thanks in our hearts and, and 
the Bible has this pattern of lament for us as a way that we can express when we don't feel grateful, when we don't feel joy in our hearts. The, the Bible has, has a means for us to express our hearts to God, even if it isn't joyful, thanksgiving, and, and it isn't in lament. But today we find ourselves, again, at a Sunday of joy, a Sunday of joy in the midst of a society that is anxious and, and feeling lost. And, and I, we keep reading headlines about how, how bad things are. Like this is, the warriors have never had it better than we have it right now, right? The, the great resignation is on. There's no workers. People don't want to work. People, COVID has put life in perspective for certain people and they just, it's just, Life is different now. I, I saw, I read recently an article about how anxiety is being diagnosed in people, like clinical anxiety is being diagnosed in people more frequently than ever before in the history of our nation. Uh, that people are anxious these days. This is, this is a time when people are, are anxious. And the lack of optimism is being reflected by people having fewer babies. The, the birth rate is down in the U.S. This is something else to worry about, ladies and gentlemen, if, you've, if you didn't have something before because the media is telling us we ought to worry about this. So this is something else that we ought to be worrying about. The birth rate is, is declining because people don't have the optimistic view about the future. And everything we look at and turn on and, and everywhere we turn our heads, we see more reasons to be pessimistic and to worry and to get anxious and and it's it's media it's the news it's social media bumper stickers are considerably less optimistic than they were 10 years ago fortune cookies are are not as optimistic these days everywhere you look you you see reasons to to be to be anxious and uh, we are required by this week in the calendar to be joyful we are required. It is the week of joy in Advent, and so, by golly, be joyful. Thank you, Christine. It isn't, it isn't hard this week to find a passage of Scripture that tells us to be joyful. Honestly, the Bible is full of, of instructions to be filled with joy. Over and over again, we, we read about, about joy in the Bible. It seems like the Christian life is a conspiracy of joy, over and over again, we're told, be filled with joy. We're told that joy is the evidence of God's working in our lives. It is a fruit of God's spirit at work in us, joy. We're, we're told that the joy of the Lord actually gives us strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, says the scriptures. We're, we're told that entering God's presence can bring us joy when we, when we enter God's presence. So we may have found, we may have found one of those places in life where culture and the world and everything around us tells us one thing, that it's time to panic. And the Bible tells us something different. The Bible, the Bible tells us, be joyful, be filled with joy, get ready to be filled with joy. It, it seems like, it, I guess, if I'm making a decision between the wisdom of the world on this one and the prophets of doom and the Bible that tells me, commands me to be filled with joy, this is one of those times when I'm willing to, willing to accept the command of scripture that says, be joyful, that tells me that, that I ought to be. I mean, if my choices are like resignation to 
how bad everything is, or following the command of God that tells me to be filled with joy, I'm, I'm going to, my personality is that. I'm going to try to follow the command that seems like a little more fun in, in this case. And so today we take ourselves to one of the passages in the Bible that instructs us to be joyful. You may think, okay, we're in the letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, you may think, it's easy for Paul in the first century to write, be joyful, right? It's easy, it's easy for Paul to write to the Philippians. If ever Paul wrote a love letter to one of the churches that he wrote uh, to in, in the first century, it was the letter to the Philippians. Like, Paul loves the Philippians. He, he, he loves the Philippians. And, and it seems like, like they have all kinds of reasons to be joyful. And so it, maybe it's just like, it's no wonder that, that he's able to tell them to be joyful. Paul had a front row seat to so many miracles that God did. Paul, Paul had great perspective on all that God could do. Paul performed miracles. And, and so, like, sure, maybe it's easy for him to say, to say be joyful. And maybe, maybe it's easy for us to say, eh, yeah, that's nice for Paul. That's nice for the Apostle Paul. Let's let him be joyful in the first century. But in spite of Paul's love for the, the Philippian church, the Philippian church still had problems. In fact, I'm going to start looking in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, but if you back up just a couple of verses, you, you see that the church was not perfect. In Philippians 4, 2, he says, Now I appeal to Eudoia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. There is open conflict in the church in Philippi when Paul wrote. Open conflict. He, he goes on, he, he asks uh, that his true partner would help these two women and settle their, their dispute because they both worked hard with me telling the others the good news. And they worked alongside with Clement and other co-workers. These, these ladies had, had open dispute that they were unable to resolve between the two of them. Like the church had to get involved in this conflict that's happening between, between these two ladies. And so Paul writes, Paul wrote, from prison in Rome to a different city about, about a church conflict. Do you think church conflict travels far today? Paul was in prison in Rome, and he knew about the church conflict happening in Philippi. And he writes to the Philippians, to these two ladies, put down your weapons, ladies. Let's, let's find some peace here. And not only was there open conflict in the church, as Paul is writing to, to the Philippians. But Paul, the, the, the circumstances of Paul's writing, they don't particularly spark joy for anybody. Paul is writing from prison. He mentions his chains in the letter. He, he is writing to a church in Philippi that was under intense persecution, intense persecution. And so Paul, both Paul and the congregation were daily aware of the physical danger facing them for their decision to follow Christ. And so we may think, ah, easy for Paul in the first century, front row seat to the miraculous work of God, easy for him to write to one of the churches he loves, be joyful, easy for him. He might look at us and say, wow, with all the comfort, with all the freedom, 
you're not in prison? He might think that it'd be easy for us to, to be joyful. And so he tells the Philippians in, in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, this, this is the passage for the day. He says these words, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will be able to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This passage is a list of commands. It's a, it's a list of commands. There's no conjunctions between the commands, by the way. Uh, so they're just all, remember, conjunctions are the words that connect. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Connecting words and phrases, yeah. And so can, there's, no, there's no, like, it doesn't, he doesn't indicate that they build on each other. He doesn't say that they're mutually exclusive. Wouldn't it be great if you could be thankful and not gentle? Like, you could just pick. He doesn't do that. They're, they're just commands. Boom, 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 boom. And Paul does this occasionally at the end of letters. He, he gives like a list of commands. The, the end of the letter to the, the first letter to the Thessalonians is the one that like stands out in my mind as Paul just like rapid fire uh, commands to, to the, the Thessalonians. He says things like, be sanctified. And it, there's two verses where, where he includes rejoice always, pray continually, uh, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In, in, in the end of the letter to the Philippians, 1 Philippians 5, he, he just rapid fire. And, and so this is kind of a pattern that Paul uses occasionally, and he uses it again here in, in Philippians with four commands. There's four commands, boom, 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 boom that he gives. And so today I'm just going to walk through Paul's four commands to the Philippians here in these four verses. There's actually four commands in three verses and then there's a tag on. So the, the but the four commands here I'm going to talk about and I'm, uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how, I'm just going to ask the questions that I ask and, and highlight the points I highlight. And it's pretty simple, right? This just does it itself really. So here we go. The first command, the first imperative that Paul gives in this passage is rejoice. You, you, we, we've talked about it already. The, the letter from Paul to the Philippians, though, it's like saturated in joy. This is actually one of three times that Paul commands the Philippians to be joyful. Three times, two other times, he says, be joyful. Isn't that interesting? Like a command to be joyful he, he begins the letter also with the idea of his joy in the Philippians. He, he says in, in chapter 1, verse 4, whenever I pray, I make my request for you with all joy. He, he loves the Philippians. Joy is like when he thinks about the Philippians, his heart is flooded with joy. He just can't contain himself with the joy that, that he feels. And in, in our culture, this is a season of joy, isn't it? Like the Christmas decorations, they often incorporate the word joy, right? You can just see like the word joy, the joy to the world. We, we sang it this morning. This is, this is a season of joy. And, and so um, 
We, we talk about the joy of the season. In fact, I probably have used that phrase, like the joy of the season, from, from this pulpit this season. Because it, it's, it's just a part of, of the season. But it stands out to me that Paul commands joy. This is an imperative in, in the Greek. It is, it is a command. Be joyful. Rejoice. Uh, he, he repeats it. And, uh, and the idea of commanding joy is maybe a little, it's, a, it's kind of a hard concept for us, I think. Like, how do you command somebody to, because joy, we, we kind of think of joy as like how we feel, right? It's like about, about how our hearts feel. We feel joyful. How can you command me to feel joyful, Paul? That just doesn't, doesn't really compute. But I think that is because we have sort of a mis, misunderstanding of what joy means in the Bible. I mean, maybe joy in our culture is like seasonal. Like we, we have seasonal joy, Christmas joy. But in the Bible, joy is not, is not a seasonal thing. In fact, seasonal joy, according to the way the Bible talks about joy and the way, the way that the Greek word that is used for joy, like seasonal joy is an oxymoron. It's it, like it doesn't exist. Are you familiar with an oxymoron? Like, a, like jumbo shrimp, government intelligence, like... Those are oxymorons, like they can't, so seasonal joy does not, it, it doesn't exist. Joy, joy is, joy is more like an underlying state of being, right? Joy, joy is, is the baseline of who we are. It isn't, it isn't just a seasonal reaction. It isn't even a seasonal reaction to the, the eruption of Christmas euphoria that people feel this time like that, that's, that's not joy. Joy is a state, a settled state of our heart. Joy, joy is, is peace that views the ups and downs of life uh, with confidence. It views the ups, uh, of down, ups and downs of life without getting too wrapped up in what the news is telling us to be worried about. Joy is a confident way of looking at life. And it is rooted in our faith. It is rooted in our trust in, in knowing who is in control of this particular event, rather than getting wrapped up in the event itself. And so joy allows us to see beyond the, the crisis of the current, right? Joy allows us to, to see beyond and so, is that possible as a, as a re result of a command? Is, is it possible, is a settled state of being <laughs> possible as a result of a command? I don't know if a settled state of being is, but certainly trusting in, in the Lord is possible as a result of a command. Seeing beyond the current circumstances, I think, is, is possible as a result of, of a command of our obedience, fixing our eyes on the one who is in control is possible. And so, I, I think in combination with the rest of the commands that Paul gives here, we, we have hope of fulfilling Paul's command to be joyful, to rejoice always. Joy, when combined with the other elements that Paul instructs us here in, in 
Philippians 4, 4 through 7, may be something that we can experience beyond our circumstances, no matter our circumstances, in fact. And so we should move on to the second command. The second command that Paul gives, uh, Paul, Paul says, is uh, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Now, the, the word, so Paul originally wrote in Greek, the word that Paul used that's translated here as considerate is a word that's translated, if you have several different versions of the Bible available to you in a moment, you, you can see that, ver- that word is translated different ways in, in many different translations. There's, there's lots of different ways that it's translated. And so I, I think I've included, I included the NIV that says, let your gentleness be evident to all. One commentary I looked at said that this word is, is almost untranslatable. It's just, it's got the idea of gentleness and courteous. One, one translator uses the word magnanimity, which isn't a word that's in my vocabulary. And so I chose not to use that word today. It, it's, got, it's got all of these ideas, respect, uh, courtesy, considerate, gentleness, uh, wrapped up in, inside of it. And perhaps the most helpful understanding that I found of this word, it comes from the idea that it, this command is, is about us, uh, it instructs us to not forever be standing on our own rights. This command says, don't always fight for your own rights. And, and in that way, it's very much the character of Jesus. Is very much the character of Jesus. If we, if we think about Jesus's self-sacrifice, if we think about Jesus's silence in his trial, if we think about Jesus's restraint, like in, in Matthew, when, when Jesus is arrested, he tells his disciples, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. Jesus's restraint to, to allow himself to suffer is, is really what's on display. And Jesus showed his, his gentleness in so many of his relationships, particularly when he rubbed elbows with those who were, were viewed as others, by others, as not worthy of Jesus's time, like children, for example, or the tax collector Zacchaeus, right? Other people were like, why is he going to that sinner's house? Or when he spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well. And his disciples came out from the city after they had run their errand and they asked Jesus, why is he talking to her? And really when we see this in, in Jesus' humility, like he didn't demand the presidential suite when he showed up in a new town anywhere, did he? And we celebrate this fact right now, right? We're celebrating Jesus' lowly birth in a manger. His willingness, he, he, Jesus was born in a time when I mean, he could have had better care than a stable, right? He could have had a slightly more sanitary conditions. Jesus could have, could have waited. He could have been born today and had all kinds of medical science at his disposable, disposal, disposal. Uh, when, when he was born. But Jesus was born lowly. Even in, in the miracle of the incarnation, 
Jesus didn't insist upon being recognized by the high and mighty. He, he, didn't, he wasn't born into the halls of wealth. He, he came humbly. And so Paul tells us that our gentleness is supposed to be evident to everybody. Our, our willingness to not forever be looking out for our own rights is, is supposed to be on display to everybody. And what I get hung up on here is that maybe, maybe everybody doesn't have to mean everybody, right? <laughs> That's how I want to read this. I, I, wanna, I want to qualify when the Apostle Paul says everybody. Surely he doesn't mean the child that's misbehaving in my house right now. Uh, surely that's not, what, that's not what Jesus means. But I think Jesus, I, I think Paul intends when he, when he says everybody, he, he includes the people in our house that, that have different ideas about how things ought to get done in our house. I think everybody includes the coworker that's rude to every other coworker. It makes life difficult. I think letting our gentleness be evident to all, all includes the people that, for just whatever reason, they get under our skin. And, and we feel like we need to fight for our rights when we're around that person. Paul tells us our gentleness is to be known to everybody. And so, we have rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. Remember the Lord is near. In, in, he, he adds this really interesting phrase at the end of uh, verse, uh, verse 5 here. In, in the New Living Translation, he says the, it says, The Lord is coming soon. And this is, this is sort of an interlude between commands. We're, we're two commands in, and then there's an interlude. And Paul says, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Now, uh, the, the New Living Translation, it, it interprets these words quite a bit from the Greek. I love the New Living Translation. I use it all the time. On this one, it does a lot of interpreting, because the actual Greek words here are, the Lord is near. And, and so... Uh, to me, I, I, I prefer just like the straight, the Lord is near, because of the ambiguity, right? The Lord is near can mean a lot of different things. Uh, the, the Lord is near could mean that the Lord continues to be faithful to his promise to his people. When, when Jesus ascended to heaven, right before he ascended in, in Matthew twenty eight twenty, he says, and remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The Lord is near could just be that Jesus continues to be faithful to his promise, and he is near. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forsaken us. He is near. That might be reason to be joyful. <laughs> it, it could mean what the New Living Translation says, that he is coming again soon. Uh, it, it, it very well could mean that. By the way, those two are not mutually exclusive either, right? The Lord's coming again soon does not mean that he is distant from us now. And the Lord being with us right now does not mean that he is not coming again soon. These, those two things can, be, can both be true at the same time. It's kind of why I like this idea, that the Lord is near. But then what does it mean for us if the Lord is near, right? There, uh, the, the Lord is near can mean, it could be taken like uh, he knows when you're sleeping, 
He sees when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Right? It can mean that. It could be, it could be a threat, right? When, <laughs> when uh, children get left to finish a task, remember, I'm coming back in two minutes, and I expect that that's... That's, like, because consequences are coming, right? Daddy is near. Uh, that's, that's kind of a threat, isn't it? Uh, it, it could mean that. It, it could mean that because, because the Lord is near and present with us and, and working in us and maybe coming soon, like, it could mean we should be filled with joy. It, it could mean boy, if God is with us, who could stand against us, right? It, it could mean that there's no reason not to rejoice. There's no reason not to just look hopefully in the face of, of the circumstances of our world if the Lord is near. Well, why would we get caught up in the ups and downs of this world if God is close to us? Why would we, why would we care about the harassment that other people throw our direction? Why wouldn't we just live worry-free? Again, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? It, it doesn't mean that, that just because we live joyfully, it doesn't mean that God is not going to also judge us when we come into his presence. And so Paul is, I like the vague idea of the nearness of the Lord here. The Lord is near. The Lord is near, and it is a motivation to us. Paul, I really believe that, that this is dropped right here at the end of verse 5 as just a little bit of motivation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is near. Well, we move on to the next command. The third command is don't worry about anything. Uh, I love this command. I love... If ever you find points in Scripture where Bob Marley and Stevie Wonder and the Bible all agree, like that, uh, this fits in my house really well, the music we listen to. The command to not worry is, is found throughout the Bible. This is common language in the Bible, right? The, the, uh, we, we see it in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is, is about not worrying. Jesus hammers it home. Uh, now, there are those of us who are prone to worry. Uh, I come by worrying honestly. Uh, there are those of us who, who, who tend to just, we just stew a little bit, right? Uh, I'm probably the only one here. Uh, my mom likes to say she knows that, uh, she knows that her worrying works because nothing that she ever worries about comes true, right? We... Uh, <laughs> Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he acknowledges the truth that, that worrying is, is in vain. He, he says, who of you, by worrying, can add even a, a moment to, to your life? Uh, it, but not worrying, not worrying is, being commanded not to worry is really challenging. As soon as we hear the command not to worry, we think of all of the reasons we, we have for worrying, Right? We're, it's like telling you not to think about a blue cow. If I tell you not to think about a blue cow, immediately you think about a blue cow. 
When I tell you not to worry, immediately you think about all the reasons that you have to worry, all of the things that keep you up at night, that, that you're running through your mind when you're trying to fall asleep. Not worrying, when, when we say don't worry, immediately all of the things, all of those things that, that we have to worry about just instantly appear. They, they are conjured by the command not to worry. And so Paul Paul gives us the command, and, and again, it's just, it's just rapid-fire command. Don't worry about anything. And then immediately he's on, on to the next topic. And I, I think that there's a little bit of instruction for us to take in that. But Paul doesn't linger on the idea of don't worry. He moves on, and he moves on to the next command, which gives us maybe a little bit of hope for fulfilling the command not to worry. Because the fourth command is instead... Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. This, this command also is translated a bunch of different ways. Pray with thanksgiving. Uh, in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The, the emphasis here is, is on prayer with thanksgiving. You can't separate the two. You can't separate, you can't just say, pray about everything, but you, Paul insists that we include thanksgiving in our prayer. Our, our prayer is supposed to be a constant conversation of gratitude with God. We, we come to God's presence with gratitude. We lift up every action we are going to make with gratitude that God has given us the ability. We, every attitude we sense in our hearts, we come to God, even if it's not an attitude that that we want in our hearts. We come to God in gratitude and we ask God to change that attitude. And so I began, I began this sermon by questioning how fair it is that we'd be commanded to be joyful. And, and I, I, quite, I, I had this question about the legitimacy of us being commanded to have a settled peace. If joy in the Bible is like a settled peace, a settled state of mind, peaceful state of mind, like, how, how can we be commanded to experience that? I think that the Apostle Paul would say, here it is. In this command, to, to pray with thanksgiving about everything is the means you have to experience joy. It is the means you have to, to have a settled heart and mind. Because what is, what is prayer? What is, what is grateful prayer? Grateful prayer is first like our words to God, right? Our, our expressing our hearts. It is our communication. It is any communication really with God. Prayer, prayer is, is simply communing with the Lord. But it's also our, our communion with God. Prayer is acknowledging God's presence with us. Prayer, prayer opens our, our minds and our hearts to the reality that, as Paul says, the Lord is near. And so, it may be difficult on our own to say, I'm going to be joyful. I'm not going to worry about anything. That may be very difficult. But if with gratitude in our hearts, with gratitude in our hearts, we we focus ourselves on God's presence with us, moment by moment, 
maybe we, maybe we have a chance. Paul, Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, then you will experience God's peace. His peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the consequence that, that Paul expects the Philippians to, to experience when, when they pray about everything, give thanks to God, is that God's peace, God's peace will, will guard their hearts and their minds. Paul, Paul is certain of this. He, it, is, it is a, then this will happen. When you pray about everything with thanksgiving, then you will experience God's peace that you can't understand. It goes beyond anything that you, you have ever experienced. If, if, we, if we thank God and let God know what we need in every situation, the Apostle Paul is just certain that we will be filled with God's peace. And Paul, Paul says it's God's peace. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of what, what God's peace is, the peace of the Lord. Uh, this, this peace is what characterizes who God is. God does not wring his hands worrying about anything, does he? God, God is, not, is not watching the news, biting his nails, anxious over what's happening in our world. It, to, be, to be settled and, and have that peaceful state of, like, that is who God is. That is what it means to be God, to have a confident outlook on the future, because God knows God, God is in control. And God invites us, invites us into his peace. God invites us to experience the peace of the one who is confident because he has created it all. And if you allow me to make a, just a pet point here, <laughs> I have a theory about, about how this is possible and, and about the reality that we have to live in the here and the now, in order to experience it. Because God is experiencing God's peace in all of eternity. Like, I believe that God is, is eternally present. God is everywhere in history right now. But it's then, because God is, like, God is outside of time. God is not bound by time. Meanwhile, you are bound by time. You can, the only place that you can be in, in the time continuum of history is now like you can't be tomorrow like in tomorrow right now tomorrow you can't be here in time the only like we are limited to to this moment in time M meanwhile god is is eternal god is throughout all all time so i believe that there uh in order for us to experience the settled peace of God that Paul tells us is possible, we have to focus on experiencing it now. We, we have to, to live in this peace now. Now, because, because you can't live in, in the settled peace of God today for tomorrow. You can pray about tomorrow. But you can't have the settled peace of God tomorrow without being present with God tomorrow. 
And so our, our responsibility as, as believers is, is to be present with God now. We can pray about tomorrow, but our, our hearts will be settled if we are just present with God now. We, if we experience God's presence in this moment, that, that is when we have the opportunity to experience the Lord's peace, a settled, confident state of being, a heart that, that knows that the world's going to go up and down, circumstances are going to go crazy, the world... It's going to try to tell us all sorts of reasons we have for panicking. But present with my God, um, I can't be too bothered by any of it. This peace, then, Paul says, guards our hearts and our minds. we, We don't have to be tossed up and down with the circumstances, the bad news, or the good news. <laughs> we, we can just confidently trust in God. I think this is a big deal. I think this is really, 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 really important because now more than ever, our world needs people who, who would live with hope confidence about the future. Our world is desperately looking for, for people who aren't shaken. Our world is desperately looking for, for people who aren't focusing what's on TV and what the news and social media tells them, but is confident in, in God's ability to make something beautiful out of today. And so as believers, we can be people of joy and of peace and of hope if we enter God's presence. He is is just waiting to fill us with his peace that exceeds our understanding. And so this morning, before before I let you go, we're going to get out of here early. Let's not preach too long enough. before I, before I let you go, I want to I practice it with you. I want to practice just being present with God. Could we do that? Would you be willing to, to just practice being present with God with me? So I'm going to ask you to just kind of sit straight, uh, hands in your lap. I, if I were sitting, I'd just put my hands in my lap. Uh, close your eyes. To take a deep breath. to just be settled in God's presence. To recognize that God is here with us. God is here with us. We've come into this place to experience his presence. Jesus told his disciples, whenever you gather in my name, I am there with you. And Jesus is here. Jesus, we welcome you. We thank you for encountering us here. 
Right now, we are in your presence. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would fill our hearts with joy. That you would give us a settled peace. Lord, we, we each come from our own set of circumstances. We come with our own pains and sorrows. We come with our own joys and, and desires. And so, God, with thanksgiving, now we lift those things to you. We recognize, Lord, that the future will be the future. You will be there with us just like you are here with us now. And we thank you. But in this moment, Lord, we ask that you would truly draw us into your presence. We ask, God, that you would, you would guard our hearts and our minds. That you would strengthen us with your peace. We focus now, Lord, on your simple presence. Here with us now. Say goodbye to the distractions that come through our minds. We remember you are here, Lord. We feel your joy. You love to be with us, Lord, and we thank you. We feel your peace. You are confident about all things, God. You're not worried. You're not anxious. We receive your, your settled peace. We receive your love. We know how, how much you love us, Lord. We thank you. In this busy season, God, I pray that my brothers and sisters would return moment by moment to your presence. That now we would experience this peace that Paul talks about. It surpasses anything we could ever ask or imagine, Lord. We thank you. It is in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? Let me just remind you where we've been today. Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Go in his presence. You are dismissed. <laughs>